0: Welcome to the New Books Network.-
1: hey, This is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network: New Books in Popular Culture, and I'm here with Andy Cohen, who is the author of B-side A Flip Sided History of Pop. Andy, thanks for being here with me today.
0: It's my pleasure.
1: Could you tell us a little bit about why you put this book together, why you wanted to write about B-sides?
0: Yeah, it came about, I mean, it was almost by accident. When I first had the idea, it was, I was, I was looking back, it was July 2020. And I was basically, was, we were in lockdown over here and I, I was doing something a bit more prosaic and, and boring. I, I was decided to catalogue on all my, all my vinyl and, you know, I was going through discogs and sort of pricing stuff. But also at the same time, I started listening, listening back to, you know, especially singles I bought when I first started buying records, which is in the late 70s, early 80s. And one of the things I, I kept on finding repeatedly was that, uh, you know, the, the, the B-sides were singing, a lot of the B-sides were singing to me more than the A-sides. And it was, I was I think there was one record in particular, I was, I was just thinking about Idley, which was um, an, an old golf band, which probably not many people remember, called Gene Loves Jezebel. And they had a song called Stephen. And this B-side is, is almost... It feels like an improvised song that's sort of made up on the spot, you know, as as B-sides often were, just to, just to you know, fill in the gaps sometimes. But however, I loved it, and it's got a sort of slightly sort of homoerotic charge to it. It's the uh, chorus. It's when Stephen smiles, my heart just seems to glow. If only I could let that poor boy know. So it's almost a you know, suppressed uh, sexuality in there. But anyway, it was, it's, just, it's just a lovely song. I was like, oh, you know, I wonder if there's a book about B-sides but I can read and find out a bit more about, you know, how B sides came about, what's what's the history, what are the greatest B sides of all time, and I knew, um, but there was certain, you know, certain B sides had changed the game. I knew, for example, "I Feel Loved by Donna Summer was released as a B side. And I knew it, um, "Glory Again," "I Will Survive," again, two amazing disco classics, which you, you you. you perish to think that how they could, I could not have been A sides, but they were. The releases B sides came back, so I knew that you know, there was this game-changing aspect to a B side, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know necessarily much more. Um, and at first, I didn't think. Well, I didn't initially think. Well, I'm the guy to write a book about B sides. I just thought I, I do write for music magazines. I've done all my life, but I just thought well, I'll just have a have a little look into it, and that kind of look sort of snowballed gradually following that. Once I decided I was going to go in a little bit deeper, um, I decided I needed some sort of spine. I needed, you know, some sort of structure to, to write a book from. So basically I spent, I think the best part of four or five months, basically trying to work out what are the greatest piece sides, what are the most impactful for, for whatever reasons, whatever genre, um, and at the start of that, to, to, to get, I wanted it to be populist. I wanted it to have a, a, a strong spine, an accessible spine. So I, I did, it was quite a crude maneuver, but I looked at uh, the hundred best-selling artists of all time and basically drove into each one of those, find out the greatest B-sides. And that gave me a spreadsheet, which was massive because some bands would have you know 20 or 30, brilliant b-sides so if you go back to the 60s and bands like the beatles and the who and everything else the kinks they all had amazing b-sides and and, you know songs which weren't on albums so therefore i had to you know i had to bring in a little bit of limiting criteria so i I, I limited it down to one per artist and so that gave me a say a basic sort of starting block of about not 100 b-sides because not everyone released uh unique b-sides but you know 90 or so and that was a starting block for the book Mm -hmm.
1: And then um, so you so you pick these and, and you say in the book, too, that some um, if it's there in a band, the artist can also ha- and the artist has a single or the artist has a B-side that that sort of counts as two different ones. Right. So the Beatles are in there as the Beatles, but the Beatles are also in there as individual performers. Right. Um, so you said so there's a little leeway there. Um, yeah so can you but you know one of the things that you mentioned in the intro and that I think is really interesting too and important to this is can you give us a little history of how B-sides came to be um, because b-sides were not always a thing?
0: No no, no that, that's absolutely true. So yeah uh, you know, actually the, the, the sort of singles as as we, as we know them now in streaming terms the ones for one song single, is basically how singles started sort of, uh, back in the, in the late 1890s, the first singles were, were one-sided, uh, that changed, I think it was 1901, um, Victor company launched something called the red seal line, which, which was a 10 inch 78s. Uh, and then in 1910, they became double-sided, uh, records, uh, at the time, um, uh, you know, basically two songs were pressed on a single and they weren't really specified A's or B's. They were called A and B or side one side two, but it was basically the two songs that were recorded at the time. I weren't really given any preference. Um, it kind of changed when the charts came into effect. So in America, uh, billboard charts, I think it was the late thirties, something like, yeah, 36. I think billboard charts happened. And in the British charts, it was quite a bit later 1952, but he's, then gave record companies uh, an onus on putting a hit song on one side and differentiating with the b-side so it would be in many cases record companies didn't want the didn't want radio to to play the b-side so as to confuse what would, you know, what what they wanted to be the hit so they often put something inferior which is when the notion of a lesser song being on the b side sort of sort of took root um but i guess you know the b-side really comes into its own really sort of in the in the 50s of rock and roll um, and the launch of that and, and the format changes again the format changes in 1948 when the seven- inch single which I called in the book a, a kittenish a kittenish little chancer comes along but it's much more affordable it's it's you know three minutes on each side so and it becomes you know it, it's something that, that, that people can can get with whereas vinyl up until that point it you know, was a preserve of money people uh, a little bit more so um, and along along with the 7-inch single becoming established in the early 50s you also have the lp as a as a as a format that's not just a collection of singles but as a as a, an artistic format and and the the album that does that is uh, Duke Ellington it's released really a nine fifty one album called Masterpieces, which is jazz, but extended versions of jazz songs where previously they'd all been sort of curtailed to fit on vinyl. So 50s is really where the single kicks off, and with the charts in the UK, charts in America, it's where the notion of the B-side becoming different to the A-side really takes root. Mm.
1: Right. And so before we get into some of the B-sides, some of the singles you have in here, um, can you also talk a little bit, because one of the things I thought was interesting, and as I, you know, would look, this is a great book where you could look through, you can read it, or you can kind of like look through it for those artists and for the bands that you're really interested in, right, and read about. So it's this great reference, kind of, you can pull it off the shelf if you want um, and look through. But you talk about some bands really caring about the B-side, right, and really thinking about... um. And I, I will just put out there that I saw The Cure this summer and it was fabulous and wonderful and amazing. And um, as they always are, <laughs> but you talk like they're one of the bands that you talk about, like that has these really great B sides. So can you talk about that too? Is like some of the bands caring about what they put on that B side in ways that others didn't?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I certainly think um, it goes back to, to, to the 60s the sort of British invasion bands in a way sort of sort of the Beatles, the Yardbirds, the Hoover Kinks, as I mentioned before, they were all they all really embraced the B side as something, you know, they could they could they could rock out or do something different. Beatles B-sides were great whether they were covers or whether they were experimenting, you know, playing things backwards as they did on rain, which is which is a really important record. Um it's also, you know, it really went on in, into the 80s, lots of Great eighties bands really embraced the B side and, and the added freedom that having the you know the twelve inch format sort of gave. So you could do longer tracks or you could do extra tracks. So you mentioned the you mentioned the Cure, who I think always had amazing B sides, uh, pretty much throughout their throughout their career. In the book, I think I touched on Fear of Ghosts, which is a sort of great sort of ethereal sort of experimental number. But but, there's, but but there's plenty more in the Cure's catalogue. Um, The Smiths are a really obvious uh, band whose, you know, sort of Smith's singles became so equally as important, if not more important, than than the album. Because, you know, virtually every B-side is great, from Handsome Devil, the song on on the B-side of her first single, Hand in Glove, to, you know, someone like High is Now, which no one can even believe was a B-side, along with Please, Please Let Me Get What I Want, which is also a B-side of William. It was really nothing. also in the eighties, which I think is a bit of a golden age. There's different golden ages, but the eighties for certain bands. Prince did B-side after B-side, which was which was which was absolutely amazing. So you you know, have something like I think in the book I I, I go for, um, I go for yeah, uh, Erotic City, um, which is on the B-side. Let's go crazy, which is inspired by him seeing Parliament and Funkadelic and basically reproducing it in a very Prince-like way with this sort of sort of 12 minute jam, which has a sort of slightly controversial course of weakened and funk till dawn, or it might not be, but uh, words to that effect anyway. So, um, so so, 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 so there's a few, I mean, um, yeah, you know, there are loads, there are loads more really. So, yeah. I, uh, I
1: have to say, <laughs> and you just like in, in that description you mentioned like, um, my all time favorite band, the Smiths, and one of my favorite artists, Prince, right? Um, and it was interesting to me when reading because I was like, how do you pick which one? <laughs> Right? Like, even though you said you're going to pick one, it was so like, sometimes I was like, this, like you said, like the Smiths have so many that like, how do you just choose one of them? Right? Yeah,
0: I mean, no, no, it it was, it was, there's no, there's no doubt that it was really hard, especially with, especially with Smiths. I mean, I think I chose Gene for the book, which is one of, you know, one of the lesser known ones, B-side of the 7-inch of this charming man in the UK, but I'm not sure, not sure what it was in America, for example. But but a great song. So, yeah, I just I just had to go. I, I, I think with the Smiths one, because how is Now is so well known, I, I just wanted to, to highlight something else. So I just went with my gut on that. Same, same with The Cure. But, you know, I, equally I would say that the other, other choices are valid and my choices are just my, my subjective choice on a lot of things. So um, I went through loads of Elvis B-sides, you know, for another he was an artist who had a surprising amount of, of uh B sides which were unique. And you know, I couldn't not end up with "Handdog" with at the end of it because it's such a emblematic song in his career and it really was a record that, you know, with with his the physical appearance of Elvis on TV, uh, shaking his pelvis really sort of established him as a you know, countercultural figure, as someone, you know, uh, equally exciting and disgusting to, to a large portion of the public who first saw him. Uh, and uh, John Lee Hooker, whose first b side was um It escapes me now, but it will come to me. Oh yeah, sorry, it was Boogie Chillin, so, um, which is kind of John Lee Hooker in, at his essence, stomping on the floor, playing the blues, singing in in, in his in his wonderful sort of soulful twang but he never really bettered it as a b-side of his first single and you find you do find that sort of you know some bands don't get any better than the b-side of a first single i'm thinking in terms of punk rock when that comes around in the 70s and then the buzzcocks do the spiral scratch ep in the uk which is important because they self-financed it uh, and so they'd made a DIY single and you find lots of bands selling oh, right, we're going to do our own single, which was a really expensive thing to do in the UK just for studio time, for pressing, you couldn't press less than 500 copies, of, you know, sort of in, in the late 70s. So you had to borrow some money from parents where it was going to cost you a fortune to do it. And there's a good chance these records would sit under your bed for the rest of your grown life unless you got a break or, you know, John Peel or someone embraced it. So your, your, your B-side was, was, was going to be a strong song. And if it did get embraced by John Peel, more you know the chances were he probably would play the b-side even if he intended to or not but uh no he did he did really play play a lot of B sides as as half of his programming so that was you know it was an important moment for certainly post-punk in the uk
1: yeah and you mentioned john Peel, and you mentioned and and throughout you talk about other sort of djs radio hosts kind of um, sometimes embracing the B-side, whether they were supposed to or not, and making those songs um, more popular than the songs that the record companies thought should be the songs that came out. Yeah. Um, so one of the other things that um, I thought was really interesting or and wanted to talk to you about is that, you cover a wide range, not only throughout um, decades, but also genres of music, right? This isn't like, we're only going to get pop, or we're only, right? You have um, Motown hits, you have the Funkadelic, like you mentioned the Smiths and Prince. I mean, the bands, John Lee Hooker, like you have rap, B-sides. So you have a wide variety. So was there... Um, can you talk a little bit about the the choices and making sure that you had such a wide variety in this?
0: Yes. Yeah, so so I mean it goes back to you know I was talking about the spine being the, the first the top 100 best selling artists. So 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 once once I had that I thought, well I have a you know I have a populist angle on the book. I have a sort of way but, but, but you know, uh, uh, something that I can approach publishers with, which is recognisable, and they will recognise the artists. But I wanted it to be as comprehensive as possible to, to cover as many genres, to, to, to do reggae, to do black music, to do hip hop, country music, soul, R and B. Um, you know, what, all genres. So, so after that initial search, I started doing really sort of quite deep dive internet searches on um, by genre by decade, to try and, you know, find all these base sites. I, I, I do a bit of work in academia. I work in public health, and I've, I've worked on a lot of systematic reviews. So I have this, this sort of... Um, history of the history of sort of finding grey literature so I I kind of used some of those approaches as if I was trying to find some obscure public health grey literature to to really dig deep into into genres and and eras and and decades to try and find those records in the 1910s and 1920s that had you know interesting b-sides that might not be immediately apparent or wouldn't show up on a search for the 50 greatest b-sides of all time or whatever so it was um, and, and it's a process that literally took that it took months. Um, not that I was—I was—I was working elsewhere. Obviously, I was just just doing this in between times. But I, I spent a long, long time just just sort of working on the spreadsheet, trying to work out what I was going to include and, and listening. And the listening took a long time. So, so you know, I had spreadsheets at various times at various stages which were which would amplify and i'd and i'd sort of sort of whittle them down again and amp and amplify and it went up and, and so i wasn't you know i basically ended up for the book doing i think it's 501 b-sides in the main section um are interweaving chapters which deal with certain other b-side traits which take in another 160 odd so it's still a lot of records covered in a short, you know, in a relatively short number of words, in the book, but I, I hope it's as you know as as comprehensive certainly as comprehensive as I could make it in terms of, in terms of covering as, as, as many genres as you know, pop from I think the first single singles nineteen seventeen, and we go up to, to at least twenty seventeen, otherwise so so it's a, it's a hundred year span, and as as wide as I I could make it hopefully
1: so with that huge spam, right and and the genre were there um certain let's talk about some of the b-sides you know some other b-sides um were there ones that were um what is, hmm which one do i want to start with what was what was the most or one of the most um unique ones you found or ones that really surprised you were there any that you know you were really excited to find out about or really surprised about
0: yeah, I mean, there's a few in, in terms of let's talk about soul and R and B because in sort of you know in, in the in the sixties you had labels like Stax and Motown and Atlantic, basically putting out amazing two-sided records where were A and B sides were, were both incredibly strong. Uh, Motown had a formula which was or initial formula it's kind of changed as uh, as things went along but i always had the up-tempo song on the a side and, and the b would would be a ballad and, and and that sort of sort of served served them well until so you know some of their ballads started getting much much better than the a sides. but I, in r and i always think that it's bizarre that someone like sam cook a change is going to come this this song which Everyone knows which you know Barack Obama sort of paraphrases when he when he when he goes into the White House. said a change has come to America is a B side, It's a B side of Shake, which people probably don't remember, but it was kind of a direction Sam Cooke was going in at the time, and more a more funky direction, um, other R and B ones. So I was staggered to find out I say a little prayer by Aretha Franklin was was a B side. Um, it had been recorded by Dion Warwick initially uh written by a Be- regular writer but she she basically she was basically warming up in in the studio to record uh an album called the reefer now and just with we backing singers and uh, uh producer jerry Wexler said well, why don't you have a, have a run for this they changed i think they changed the, the key of it from from g to a uh, and we're just doing it and it just they just grooved so well. They said, "Well, we're going we're gonna, to, we're just going to record it." But they'd recorded it very quickly and, and didn't think of it as an album track or anything. Just just chucked it on the B, uh, and then it got they got flipped by DJs, and, and I think it went to number two in the end. Uh, one of my favorite songs of all time, or which became which became became, I think, renewed itself as one of my favorite songs was "Ain't No Sunshine" by Bill Withers, which was an album track. But, but somehow was not chosen as the first single. Was put on the B side of his first single, Harlem, which is, which is great. But it's nothing to the, to the, you know, the sheer heartbreak, and loss and desolation of Ain't No Sunshine, which is just a wonderful song. And when when I was writing a book, that sort of became a, a motif. Something I, I played every time I started to remind myself, uh, Hey, this song was a B side. It wasn't considered, A side fodder. Isn't that crazy? that's the reason I'm writing this book to try and, you know, to sort of highlight some of his fantastic songs. So, so, so very few, and actually one, one, one more, uh, R&B song, which is, which is incredible, which is uh strong as death, sweet as love, Al Green, which was, uh, it's not so much, the song itself is a, is a, a song about sort of, sort of desperate love and everything else, but it's, it's, it's kind of what happened to, uh, to Al Green after he, he recorded it when, um, he he turned down a marriage proposal from his partner uh, called um, Mary Woodson and um, they had an argument she she threw a boiling pot of grits over him with these lacerating burns which he was just trying to deal with when he found out she'd she'd shot herself with his gun in his house so it was an absolute, absolute tale of tragedy and that's Really, what, what sort of um, took Al Green to, to in, into the ministry and, and and sort of changed his life away from music, so, so sort of completely. So it's an impactful song for another reason, but a very a very brilliant one, all the same. So I mean, that's just a few sort of R and B examples, which uh, all of those sort of, sort of sort of came as came as a surprise to me, which I wouldn't have known if I was writing the book at all. Um, some rock and roll things. Which I really some records I really liked sort of sort of came out of this. So, which I you know I don't know I I came I came to I came into music via the sort of the end of punk. Nineteen seventy eight was when I started buying records. So it was kind of you know the, the sort of the, the bad end of punk. But when it started to get the sort of power pop end, but before it started, and then it, then it got really interesting with new wave and, and you know I some records from from 78, 79, early eighties pretty much all had brilliant B sides. But I didn't know a lot of the early rock and roll B sides, so stuff like I mean, one one that I loved when writing book is Brand New Cadillac, Vince Taylor, which came out because um, end end of the fifties was a B side of a song called Pledging My Love. The Clash covered it. Uh, when they're recording London Calling. It's one of the first songs I think they recorded that but the clash version is is nothing. It's 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 pants compared to to the original, which is just a stunning, stunning rock and roll song by guy Vince Taylor, who who kind of missed the boat certainly in the UK. He became he did become the inspiration for uh, Ziggy Stardust, David Bowie. And he, he was which was kind of modeled on on his his sort of failure really to, to to, to to make it so that was really interesting um, the biggest rock and roll one which we, we can't ignore in, in any any discussion of B sides is uh, we're going to rock around the clock by Bill Haley and the Comets which was the B side of this sort of ridiculous male fantasy song which is uh, thirteen women and only one man in town which is a, 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 a cover um, and which 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 basically flopped in the single the single was about Was about to die completely when uh, Richard Brooks, the director of uh, Blackboard Jungle, was was he was over at the house of Glenn Ford, lead actor who was uh, and we were just chatting and Glenn Ford's son I think put on Rock Around the Clock, it's B-side just because just because he loved it and 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 uh, Richard Brooks heard it said well it's got to go in the film, Uh, and he put it in the opening opening credits of Blackboard Jungle, this sort of sort of countercultural movie And, and. it just went crazy at the cinema just people it sounds it sounds like it's made up but but by all accounts people were, were getting up and then sort of dancing in the aisles at the cinema when it came on and snowballed from there and then became yeah, it became a breakthrough record of rock and roll and bill haley the most you know most unlikely perhaps looking sort of uh, rock and roll <laughs> to first make an impact because without being funny to my dad, he looked a little bit like my dad, had a little pot belly and it, you know, his little kiss curl and, and um, you know, but it, it was, it was, it was such a catalyst. Um, a couple of others, Bebopalula, Gene Vincent was a B-side, unbelievably. So, um, to a song called Woman Love, um, La Bamba, Richie Valance, um, which he learned, he learned phonetically, so because um, he only he, he only spoke English, uh, and made it. And his record label were really happy that they had this song, which uh, would not compromise the A side, uh, which is a song about his girlfriend called Donna, uh, which was which which became his last single. Ultimately, and and then Labamba sort of took off after he died in a sort of tragic uh, plane crash with, uh... so uh, and. Yeah, one. Yeah, I've got to mention a B side that wasn't a B side, but was supposed was two, two actually rock and roll B sides, which were supposed to be B sides, which weren't, which got flipped at the very last moment. Uh, fortuitously, in the case of Cliff Richard, who was going to release, in the, was going to release. So Cliff Richard was, to people who don't know, was sort of the um, UK's answer answer to Elvis, who was sort of styled very much like Elvis at, at the time in the late fifties. But he was about to release a single called uh, Schoolboy Crush, which is a sort of dippy, sort of old Bobby Helms song. Not much to write home about, but he'd recorded this fantastic B-side called, uh, called Move It. It's about the, uh, the rock and roll movement that gets in your soul and your, your heart and your soul, and it's got fantastic guitars on it. It's written by guitarist in his band, uh, the Drifters, Ian Sammy Samuels, on the bus going home one night. Anyway, the producer, it's this really esteemed British producer called Norrie Paramour, who did a lot of film soundtracks and stuff. He said, Well, it's all right. Well yeah, it'll it'll do. It's it's good enough for a B-side. Well, you know, we'll have it. And then um, and it would, and it so it would have been, Cliff Richard might have been this sort of minor star, but uh, it with a TV show called Oh Boy in the UK, uh, which is which is a, a sort of teen show, and its producer Jack Good said, Well I don't want, uh, you know, I I don't want the ace. I don't want schoolboy schoolboy crush. I want move it because it's rock and roll. It's what happening now. It's what the kids want. And so the label the label flipped it at the last moment, and Cliff went straight up to number two in the charts and basically sort of set the template for British rock and roll. So um, a really important record for in the UK for, for a, to 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 see a visible rock and roll star who wasn't American at the time. Um the other one, which is which is um wasn't a B side but was meant to be a B side, is um and it's gonna sorry, it's it's just evading my mind at the moment, but it will come to me. Um Ah yeah, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. So right, Jerry Lee Lewis. So he is doing uh It'll it'll be me. This is his second single, Jerry Lee Lewis, obviously Went to Sun Records um, straight from Bible school, as as the story has it. So he's you know he's he's always you know straddling that divide between between the frills of rock and roll and, and 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 Christianity and being damned to hell for loving rock and roll. Uh, but anyway, he he had. It'll be me, and and he records it, he cuts it. I say, great, this is you know, this is this is the second single. We want this is this is yes, going to get this. It's got a hit written all over it. And he said, but what have you got for the B side? He says, oh well, I've just been you know, that's been trying trying to sing it live, and and it seems to be yeah you know, seems to be going down well, and it's a whole lot of shaking going on, which everyone hears, and is completely flawed. by I said, well. No way. No way is it going to be a B-side. So it's going to be an A. So there's, there's a couple that, that, that got flipped at the last moment, which were absolutely incredible.
1: So so my next question, and I'm going to premise it by saying that I am living with a 12-year-old um, who has fallen in love with not only records, but 80s Brit British pop, right? Like Wham!, it, she's she cries when she know, realizes she'll never see Wham and George Michael. And and she so she listens to, also she loves tro- Club Tropicana, right? And so you have Club Tropicana's B-side in here, which I'd rather listen to than Trab- Trab- Club Tropicana, ages and ages and ages every day. Um, but, like, so do you have, what are some of those, and I'm going to guess that one is not as controversial as some others that come up where you're like, the B-side is better than the A-side. Like, she would probably argue with you, I don't know how many... Wham- like fanatics are out there that would argue that with you um but do you have ones that after people have read this or looked at it are like yeah i don't agree with you i think the a side's better than the b side
0: oh yeah yeah i mean all the time i mean it, it's um it's a subjective opinion um i'm with you i'm with you on the the, the wham b side i think blue is a really great song it, it, it kind of became something It they yeah, when, when wham Play those those shows in China became it was a really essential part of it, and it it was a record it was a record that showed where Wham were going, where George Michael was ultimately going, uh, sort of you know really moving towards that more electronic um, uh, American R and B sound, uh, and away from the, the sort of rap stuff that really defined Wham, or well, the sort of British version of American <laughs> rap stuff that defined Wham in the early days. So. I think it was an important record in that, you know, it was, it was the change that was happening, but you wouldn't know about it unless you played the B-sides. So. Um, but yeah. In, in yeah terms I, of- I
1: just will not to go down the wham route. No, I was just going to say not to go down the wham route, but yes, I like a hundred percent agree with all of that. And I've never heard so much weird rap in my life when, as opposed to listening to like old wham stuff with my daughter. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, there's, it's it, you know it, it's ultimately subjective. I think it's one of the things about record collecting and and and, and buying vinyl and everything else. When 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 you know you well, I'm a man of a certain age. I'm 56. So so when I started buying buying records, um, my parents didn't really have anything, but I could I could I, I could I could get with. I had some very straight ahead jazz, some film soundtracks, some easy listening Reader's Digest compilations, so nothing nothing I really wanted to play so when I started buying records you know, I only had the two songs on a single uh, and, and when I only had a few singles you know, what do I play after I play the A-side a few times I'm going to play the B-side so the records are that sort of get into into your system sometimes by default, sometimes by repetition, It's it's like albums when you when you buy albums when you're you're a kid and you don't have much money and you saved up a few weeks to buy an album and you might not like it at first, you might be really disappointed and think, well, you know, this is not what I was expecting um, or it it just doesn't connect, but you keep playing it because you haven't got anything else, you haven't got much choice and then suddenly something in it clicks and you think, my God, it's the greatest album of all time. And you know, if I hadn't given it uh, a chance, I, w- I would never have known. I, mean, you know, I just wanted was rubbish So there's plenty of exam- examples of that. And I think it's the same case with a, a lot of B-sides that you might you might dismiss at first or if you give them a, a quick listen, you think, nah, it's not as good as the A, I like, I like the A-side. But the, the records that sort of often creep up on you unawares or or, or you find them or you know they're they're different records to the a side uh one of the first bands i really liked was the boomtown rats uh um and their their b-sides were always self-produced and they sounded almost like a different band their albums were produced by a guy called uh john mutt Lange, who went on to produce ACDC, Shania Twain, Def Leppard, Doobies, really sort of high gloss commercial sound. But I think he had that sort of that pop sensibility which he really brought to to the Boomtown Rats. And the B-side sound like a sort of Irish, sort of almost R- punkish R and R- B band. A lot different. And so if one of the first bands were actually, you know, there's something, there's something different about the B-side. You can be someone else. You can use it to to show another side of your psyche, your personality. It doesn't, you know. It can, it can it can show a completely different side so it's a blank canvas which you know you can use use in any way be that an experimental way an instrumental way um, whatever you know lots of bands use it to just as a dumping ground for for weaker songs which are you know we can say I think comfortably most b sides possibly are worse than the a side uh, most are, are the band would consider the, the inferior song. So it is it is kind of, you know, going through them and finding the ones that aren't or the exceptions to the rule. And that's really what the book is about. So
1: mm-hmm. well and I will say too, I have to say that it was another great thing about your book is that it did bring back like I <laughs> I re- I do remember Gene Loves Jezebel, right? Or there's other bands in here where I'm like, oh yes, right. Like, but you know, like there was also like, and I, um, you know, would go through and there would be some that I was like, yes, I remember that band or I remember that song, and it's one of those things that just like you haven't heard it for a while, and then it was hard because sometimes too there were B sides you mentioned that I hadn't heard of, and I kind of wanted to um, stop. Or I hadn't heard for a long time, and like just listen to you know go down a rabbit hole of listening yeah, to yeah, it yeah, yeah, as yeah. well, um, which I guess is a good thing. But there's that too, right? Like you have this collection here where you're like, oh, I want to hear what I is that B side really as good as that song, or is it better? So there's that going on
0: too. Absolutely, and and, and when I was writing it, I mean I went down so many rabbit holes, you know, there's almost no no law left at the end of it because I you know I, I, I went I. I was also looking in fan forums when I was writing to, to you know try and narrow down narrow it down. So, say I was doing uh, Kylie Minogue one afternoon, trying to find out you know the the, the best Kylie Minogue B side So I thought, well, I look at a few fan forums, see what the fans say, because there's quite a lot to hear. And so, so if I can narrow it down to what the fans really want, and then. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I'd get sidetracked by by other discussions going on in the fan forums about Kylie's gold pants or whatever, and and you suddenly realise you spent <laughs> you spent a, two or three hours reading about Kylie's pants and and not listened to any of the B sides and and was still at the starting point and uh, you've written nothing down on your spreadsheet. So it's rabbit holes galore, and there's also rabbit just rabbit holes of listening. You listen to some someone you think wow it's amazing, and then you go to the next song. YouTube will bring up another song by them, and so so you can get seriously yeah, sidetracked by it i did have done for the book which is in the introduction some youtube playlists so you can re- listen listen watch and and read at the same time so you can follow the main text with a playlist and for the some of the interweaving chapters so it it, it is possible to do that um which is quite nice but also as you said i think in the introduction it's a book you can dip into if you want you can you can leave it in the bathroom uh you can read it in book. you can just dip in and, and um, dip into a book almost at any place and, and sort of you know find something that you you might not have found before which, I, which you know I, I you know it's not a book you have to read from cover to cover necessarily you can read it in dispatches it, it is it's up up to the reader but i think it's nice quite a nice quality for it to have
1: okay. Yeah, and we should say that you do have these interweaving chapters, but for the main B-sides, they're just sort of a really meaty paragraph, right? It's not, um, so you can, you can really do that sort of dipping in or if you're hanging out and someone's like, okay, what about this song? And you can look it up and it's, you know, it's not pages. It's like, it's a good, you know, two minute read or one minute read, that kind of quick read. So you can kind of see what all those B-sides are about.
0: It is, yeah. It, it, it's it, it's it's um, one. So I par- think
1: that's a, yeah. So yeah,
0: yeah. So it's 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 one paragraph per, per, per song basically, and as you say, it's it's a meaty paragraph. So none of I've, I don't think there's an entry over about 250, 260 words. The shortest one's about one hundred twenty So it's cramming quite a lot of information w- w- within that paragraph. So. There's there's a, there's a there's a title there's the A side there's a there's a there's a quick line a summarising line and and then there's a paragraph but also just to just there has to be a sort of line or two to try and put some artists in, in context um, I'm I'm assuming when I'm writing it that people know a bit about music but also they might not know this particular artist's history in depth so I've tried to try to put them quickly in context while trying to get to 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 the song. Of the B side and also the A side in a, in a lot of cases, because the B side, how it exists in relation to the A side, is really important as well. And sort of be it uh, complementing the A side, being a, a completely different thing, or in contrast to the A side. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's some of, some of the, the, the greatest thing about B sides being so different or being so complementary to the A side that, that you know, makes them really stand out.
1: So I have to ask you another question. You could have formatted um, and put these in many different orders, right? You could have put them in order by the artist. You could have done decades, that kind of thing. But you put the book in alphabetical order by the B-sides. So can you talk about that choice and why you chose that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I I did look at it in various different ways. I looked at formatting it uh, in different ways and – one of the, I could have done it chronologically. Um, I could have done it, um, yeah, s- straight up, 19, 1917, the first piece side, straight through, which would have mean you would have, you would have had a lot of jazz records, blues records, rock and roll records, all grouped together pretty much in a line. Um, I thought that would be... the be a bit dull i could have done it by genre which again you would you would you would have had but i also think i think people would read it would, would prioritize the genres that they have a particular affinity for and maybe not necessarily read about other records which i which i thought were important and it's not so hard to go from a to z and read up read 120 words about some sort of sort of mad hip-hop b-side like um hit em up by tupac or something that you you might not have heard but was a massively important record for hip hop that, that that you probably should have heard uh, in, in in the context of, of pop, and it also, um, I liked it. Because I, I build it as a flip-sided history of pop, I liked it to be dotting around from genre, from from year. So I, I just think it makes it as a playlist. If you listen to it just as a playlist, or if you read the book, I just think it makes it more interesting. when, when if it was all grouped together in, in along strict genre lines. I, I, you know there's a section in dub and in the book which is an interweaving chapter which is the only one that i really did because um that was the only way i could do it but i did in the even even in the dub chapter i brought in sort of uh all the all the pop acts who suddenly started doing sort of dub mixes even Fleetwood mac did a dub mix in the 80s which sounds sort of sounds crazy but it just became became the norm
1: So, I, I, you know, we've been talking about this for a while and I could probably keep, you know, talking to you and asking you questions about these B-sides. And I really do think like this is a great book. Like it's also a great book if you are have a bunch of friends who are fans of uh, music to just be like, I feel like this could also become a drinking game. Like what's the B-side on this album? Right. Kind of thing. Um, But so there's lots going on with this. So I'm going to ask you my kind of final question. are you working at either with this or are you, what are you working on now? What's your kind of final self promotion? Is there anything with this book or do you have a new thing that's coming out? What's going on?
0: Yeah, I have, um, I haven't started anything. I have a couple of ideas which are basically in, along the same lines. so so one's, one's a hip hop book. So one's a, one's a very deep dive into a particular artist um, which I can't talk about too much without giving it away, but it but it would would be a, a very analytical drive into someone with a very large catalogue, and and almost going through it song by song, but in a, in a more in a very micro fashion, um, and I can't really say much more now that. But but that's that's one idea that's that's taking prominence over over, over another idea, which is uh, to do with albums, so not to do with singles. So. Um, and, and again, that's, that's, that's kind of, it's kind of under wraps, but I have, a so I have a couple of music ideas, which will, which will basically entail me, I think, sort of, sort of going into a dark room with, with my spreadsheets and, and trying to figure out a structure in the, in the, in the same way as I did this, because I spent so long, so long working on the structure. And then when I had the structure, it still took, it still had to write it. So, you know, it, uh, it, it took, took me basically a a year to, 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 to get it down. So however much planning you do, you still have to, to do the difficult bit which is the writing and then and then in my case it was a bit longer than, than it appears in, in, in the book format. So so giving it quite a deep edit to to get it into, you know, a, a, a concise format. So I have I have a couple of things going up. I really like the b Side drinking game idea, which, um, <laughs> which you just mentioned, which I hadn't hadn't even considered. So, um, which is a, a brand extension, I shall uh, I shall definitely be pursuing. It could be uh, <laughs> I could do it with Christmas singles alone. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll there you I'll, go. I'll, I'll, you we
1: I live in a small little town, um, but there (laughs) is a brewery there. We have, yeah, we have a brew pub and they do record night. And usually what the record night consists of is people bringing records and then they'll play, they'll pick one side and they'll play the whole, album side right okay but like when i was reading this i'm like there's a bunch of record geeks there who five times out of ten might not be able to guess the b side like it was interesting like uh, my husband's a musician and we were talking and i brought up i was like oh i didn't like just the john Fogarty. there were so many that i was like oh i didn't remember this was the b side but like the john fogarty center field being the b side and and he automatically knew the A-side, right? Like He's like, oh, that's right. The A-side is this. But then I was like thinking, this would be super fun. Like, can you name the B-side to this? Or this was the B-side. Do you know what the A-side is? And I'm like, this would be a great game.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. So, I mean, you have
1: quite the catalog there, so...
0: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll cut you in ten so you percent can run of the profits. That. So yes, absolutely. So.
1: <laughs> thank you, thank you. You can you can <laughs> run with split, that. Split game, but I was like, I was like, I <laughs> <laughs> go go right ahead, go right ahead. <laughs> you did work on the but I was just thinking, yes, I'm like, I know no many people who this would be like. Hey, do you know the B side to this song? I mean, some of them they might, but there's others that I'm like, oh, you would never know.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Unless I, I, you were a big fan. Yeah and, and I I would say because I, I you know I thought I knew quite a lot about B-sides when I started and and really I didn't so you know so it's sort of I I've, I've written about music for 30 years and I thought I thought I had a pretty good handle but you just tend to you tend to know the artists you know or the records you bought and and the rest of it's a bit of a minefield so you know hopefully that solves the mystery and and can become a great pub quiz as well mm-hmm.
1: There you go. So Andy Cohen, um, B-side, a flip-sided history of pop. Thanks for talking with me for new books and popular culture.
0: It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for talking to me too.